and I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer. Um, so, dear Lord, I just thank you for this time, um, for the message that you've given me this week. Um, we celebrate you, Lord, and what you've done for us um, this weekend in remembrance of you. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would help open our hearts right now, open our minds to receive from you. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come, and we just thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, I know Pastor Keith already mentioned this, but we're going to be keeping with the same format this service as we have been the past couple of weeks. Um, so just know that we will conclude this service with a time of prayer for Hannah. So please have a scripture and or prayer ready to pray for Hannah at the end. Um, there's also been a few of y'all that have reached out to us um, saying you have a card for Hannah, a picture, um, something along those lines. Uh, if you have something like that that you want to make sure gets to her, uh, please Please feel free to give that to myself, uh, Terrence, Pastor Keith, Martha, anyone who's on leadership here, and we'd be happy to pass that along. Uh, Something funny that came up earlier was actually at the end of Supernatural class, um, Pastor Keith made the comment that I was talking really fast during Supernatural class, and when I looked at the drink I brought, uh, it was not coconut water-based as I thought. It was actually an energy drink. So if anyone catches that I'm talking really fast, just feel free to holler. Um, but I think I had somewhere around 300 milligrams of caffeine. Um, so thank you, Pastor Keith, for pointing that out. And again, if something happens or you can't hear me, the volume goes out, or I start talking really fast, feel free to just holler out. All right, um, Luke, if you wouldn't mind putting up the picture real quick that I'm going to start us off with. Uh, this is actually um, coming up on the screen, a picture of Hannah and myself on my wedding day. Um, it's hard to believe, but that picture was actually taken almost a year ago. So um, I was married last May. Uh, Hannah was a junior bridesmaid, as my husband mentioned last week, in our wedding. And I actually chose our bridesmaids, or my bridesmaids, based off of the rich history of friendship that God had given me for each one um, of my bridesmaids. So each bridesmaid, there was a history of friendship that went behind, be behind each one. Um, as that picture's coming up, uh, the picture that was taken of Hannah and I, it wasn't taken the first day that Hannah and I met. Uh, it wasn't taken the day after Hannah and I met. Uh, it was actually taken about two and a half years after I'd met Hannah. So when I first met Hannah, uh, Nicole Hines, it was actually in this sanctuary. Um, I stepped in through the back of those doors in 2017. Uh, Hannah was 10 years old at the time, if you can imagine that. Um, so she's 13 right now. So if you remember what it was like to be 13, uh, 13 can be a very... Uh, adjusting time period, and that's what Hannah's going through right now. So at the time, she was 10 years old. I remember coming through the back doors, and she immediately came up and greeted me. So we had a children's area where all those chairs are stacked in the back at that time period. Uh, she walked right over to me. She introduced herself. Um, there's a picture. So um, again, that was taken last year of Hannah. And I, uh, she came over, she introduced herself. Hi, my name is Hannah. What's your name? How are you doing today? And I just remember being taken so aback by this. She was a 10-year-old girl coming straight up to introduce herself, ask a few questions about me. So I could immediately tell that Hannah was very mature for her age. And as I began talking to her and engaging with her, I realized how friendly and open she was and still is too. So any of you that have met Hannah before um, can testify to that. She is very mature for her age. She's 
she's very friendly, she's very open, and it's those characteristics along with a lot of other attributes that put the call of leadership on her as well. Those characteristics have been defined more and more over the years in Hannah, and it's because of those things that we actually were able to have a lot of memories together as well. So I have another picture um, that we can go ahead and put up of Hannah and I, along with another friend at Six Flags. Uh, Hannah and I went to Six Flags so many times. Uh, we went to Whole Foods, we went to uh, the Asian Times Square, we went to Fort Worth, and through that I really found not just a friend but a little sister in Hannah. There was a process that God gave me in Hannah called friendship that he really took us to, which is what led to me again choosing her to be a junior bridesmaid in our wedding. And tonight I want to talk about another God process through the value of character, and I want to do that by laying out the lives of Saul and David. Now a lot of us are familiar with the lives of Saul and David, but I want to go ahead and show you what their character looked like because they actually had a lot of similarities. So Saul and David were both anointed and chosen by God by the same prophet, Samuel. They actually both became king at the age of 30, but they had entirely different outcomes. And I just want to say before I start off that we are in a season that we may never get back again. And when I say we tonight, I really hope that you're hearing you because you right now are in a season you may never get back again. This may be a hard season for you, this season of social distancing, but I'm hoping and praying that the message I'm going to share tonight will awaken something inside you that causes you to choose your own God-ordained character process and live for God and nothing else. I'm going to go ahead and start us off tonight with 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36. So if you want to go ahead and turn to that in your Bibles, we're going to be spending a lot of time in 1 Samuel tonight. Again, that's 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36. And as you're turning to that, I want to go ahead and introduce the first point for tonight, which is repentance. Uh, repentance or repent is actually a Hebrew term that means return or turning away. So when we're talking about repentance and when we're thinking about repentance, it literally means you're going down one path, you stop going down that path, you turn around and you enter or engage on another path. When we're talking about rent repentance, this could look like a lifestyle, an action, but again, you are going in one way, you stop that way, you turn around and you go to another. We see in 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36, that David is choosing a life of repentance, that David in this passage has been called and anointed to be king, and he's taking what he's learned in his hidden season and going forth and killing Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36 out of the New Living Translation says, But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, this pagan Philistine in this passage is, of course, Goliath, and David is choosing to no longer respond to the path that he was on, the path of being a shepherd boy, and instead responding to the call or the path of a king. He's choosing to, against all odds, go up against Goliath and take him on because he knows who he is. Now, if you turn to 1 Samuel 10, 20 through 21, we see what Saul did in a time of repentance, in a time where he was called to do such. 
We see that at this time in 1 Samuel 10, 20 through 21, Saul has too at this time been anointed king. Samuel has come to him, has called him, and it is this day and time that Saul will be revealed as king to the people of Israel. The people of Israel have been calling out, crying out for a king, and Saul is supposed to respond during this time to that call. Samuel, in fact, is conducting the practice of casting sacred lots to choose Saul as king in this passage. It says, so Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. Rather than turning to the lifestyle of the king that he was called to be, Saul was hiding behind baggage. He had not repented from his old lifestyle. He had not stepped into the full calling of a king. Has there ever been a time where you have been hiding behind baggage, or maybe a season right now where you feel like you're hiding behind something? Have you not turned away from the things that are aligning with your calling as a Christian and the destiny that God has given you? As you're reflecting on that, I'm going to go ahead and move on to our second point, which is submission, or submitting to the process that you can currently be in. Submission is always a process because there's a time and a season for everything. So after you've chosen to lead a life of repentance, after you have turned away from whatever that looks like, you can choose to follow, which is through God, by submitting to whatever process God has called you to. As you're going down a new path, the way that you can submit to the process is determined by how much you trust in God and how much you are surrendered to the Lord. David did a great example by this by responding to what was eternal and therefore honoring God even when it didn't make sense. I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of times in my life when God's called me to do something and it hasn't made much sense. One example that David did this was loving Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul. He was his enemy's son, but David still made several vows to and with Jonathan, affirming their friendship. In 1 Samuel 20, 17, it says Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. David also had the chance to kill Saul, again his enemy, multiple times and decided not to because he would not bring harm to God's anointed one. In 1 Samuel 24, 6 through 7, David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should attack my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So Saul, or excuse me, so David restrained his men and did not lead them to kill Saul. Even though Saul was pursuing David, and even though David had every right to his men, or so it seemed to his men, to bring harm to Saul, he chose not to. He instead chose to honor God and submit to the process and the season that God had him in. Saul even went so far as to chase him into the wilderness and try and instigate a fight with David, and David still refused to fight Saul. In 1 Samuel 23, 25, it says, When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for him, he went even farther into the wilderness to the great rock, and he remained there in the wilderness. But Saul kept after him in the wilderness. David's enemy continued to pursue him, and David did not turn around and fight back. Instead, he continued to follow the Lord's commandments and continued to put what the Lord desired before what he desired. I can only imagine that this would have been really uncomfortable for David. It probably brought danger to him and his men, and it probably brought a lot of pressure in his life. 
But again, he chose to trust in God in the process rather than not. If we look at an example of what Saul did, we can turn to 1 Samuel 13, 7. In this particular passage, again, 1 Samuel 13, 7, Saul is also called to submit to the process that the Lord has put before him, but he's responding in a different way. He's responding to things that are temporary, his circumstances, what he can see, rather than what God has already spoken. In 1 Samuel 13, 7, it says, Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. In this particular passage, we see even though God has clearly spoken and Samuel has already conveyed to Saul what needs to be done, Saul still decides to take things into his own hands. He still decides to do the burnt offering himself. He sees his men trembling with fear. He sees his men leaving. And again, what does he do? He takes on the burnt offering himself and sacrifices it out of his own will. Saul responded to what was temporary and did not trust the process when he felt pressured, when he felt uncomfortable and reacted in the wrong way. In fact, it's actually because of this action that Saul's kingdom was ended. Samuel says later on in that passage, the Lord would seek after another man that would submit to the Lord and he would end Saul's kingdom. In those two passages of submitting to the process, we learn that it's going to be uncomfortable at times. God's process isn't going to feel easy most of the times, and it might create pressure around you or even in you. But again, you need to submit to the process. It's always going to be worth it because God is worth it. And the last point I want to make tonight is growth. Growth is something that comes out of a place of repentance, and growth is something that comes after you submit it to the process God has for you. In 2 Samuel 3.1, it says, As time passed, David became stronger and stronger, while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. Now, this particular verse really stuck out to me because they both were given the same calling. Again, they were both called to be king. Um, if you actually look, Saul's dynasty or Saul's reign lasted about 42 years, while David's lasted 40 years. So they were about the same time period, too. But why is it that Saul's dynasty only lasted for one generation? Why is it that Saul was killed in battle along with his sons, whereas David's dynasty lasted for so long that 14 generations later, Jesus Christ himself came out of that lineage? Well, if you look at what David did in times of demand, David was able to respond to the Lord because he had grown after submitting to the process that God had for him, whereas Saul had a much different approach. David was able to respond to the Lord. And how many of us know that our Lord is the only one who brings life? There's nothing else that you're going to find that will bring you life in this world other than through Jesus Christ. And we see David responding to that by crying out to God and seeking after the Lord. In 2 Samuel 12, 13 through 17, David was actually face to face with the prophet Nathan. What Nathan did was he confronted David after David had taken another man's wife, Bathsheba, and he told David the wrong that he had done. David's response was, I have sinned against the Lord. And after this, Nathan told him that it was the Lord's will for the child inside Bathsheba's womb to die. Well, what did David do? He went before the Lord. He begged God to spare the child. He went without food, and he lay prostrated all day and all night in a position of fasting and prayer. 
Again, David went straight to the Lord after he recognized his guilt and his sin and called upon his name. In 1 Samuel 15, 24 through 26, we see that when Saul was confronted by sin through the prophet Samuel, after he was told to kill all of the people and all of the animals of the Malachites, he chose not to kill the king and to keep the best animals for himself. Out of 1 Samuel 15, 20 through, uh, excuse me, 24 through 26, it says, Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. In this particular passage, we see that Saul is confronted by his guilt and admits readily sin. However, he decides to reach out to Samuel and ask Samuel for forgiveness. He decides to rely on someone else and ask for them to go with him so that he can go before the Lord. How many of us know that if you rely on someone else to reach out to God, you're never going to grow? I would even challenge you and say, what does your faith look like if you're pulling on someone else's anointing or if you're pulling on someone else's faith? You're not only denying yourself of the greatest joy you could ever have, which is a personal relationship with Jesus, the living God, but you are grasping for God um, through someone else as Saul did and not crying out to him as David once did. You should be praising God. You should find that praise willing up inside of you. You don't have to ask someone about who he is or what he's done, but you can actually tell other people what he's done through you and in you because of the testimony that he's given you. And with that, my final concluding thought is this, something that's been on my mind a lot actually lately, is that whenever our stay in shelter ends, be that April 30th or May 4th, whenever that may be, the question I want you to ask yourselves tonight is, who will you be? When those doors open into our society once more, will you be able to say that you are actually changed for the better? Will you be able to say that you too have submitted to a process to God, that you have repented, that you have submitted, that you have found growth, or you still be the same person that first started the stay in shelter together? Another thing that's been on my mind is the great revival that we've constantly been talking about that is coming. We know there's a great revival that's going to come. We know that this is something that God has spoken. But I would ask you this, what are the characteristics of revival? Do you think of salvations? Do you think of healings? Do you think of deliverances? And then I would ask you, have you actually begun to see those characteristics in your own life? And how are you going to allow those revival attributes to continue to grow in you during this time period? Again, remember, you shouldn't be asking yourself, when is this stay in shelter going to end? You should be asking, who am I going to be when this stay in shelter ends? Don't let thoughts of boredom or despair taunt you. Don't let circumstances define this time. When you look back on this time period, be one that is able to say that you live to the call of the dynamic power of Jesus Christ in you. As Pastor Keith mentioned earlier, this weekend we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we celebrate that he conquered sin and death so that we could live again through him. Do not forsake Jesus this weekend by turning to something that is temporary, but take time, either individually or with your family, to celebrate what God has given you, the greatest gift, which is himself. He gave himself as that gift, and we should cherish that gift by responding to him with all that we have and with all that we are. 
I hope that this is actually the most powerful and most defining Resurrection Sunday that you've ever had. And I hope that this would be a weekend where you find yourself turning away from anything that exists in your life, in your heart, in your mind of this world, and fully submitting to Jesus. I pray that this would be a weekend where every single one of us watching online and in this room would find themselves committed once more to Jesus in all of his ways.